Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast, Young Blonde Suburban. I'm your host, Caitlin Files. I'm a young, white, female-identifying lawyer who lives in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, outside of Philly. This podcast runs as a sister show to Young Black Suburban, hosted by Tim Witherspoon Jr. The Young Suburban podcast hosts guests to engage in conversation about their different life journeys and perspectives. My show, Young Blonde, has a special focus on badass babes out there doing the damn thing. So welcome and thank you for tuning in. Let's jump into today's episode. Well, welcome everyone. Today we have Chris Fox. Chris, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I haven't Love seen you in town. so long. I Welcome to Yardley. Beautiful. <laughs> Honestly, I haven't seen you in so long. <laughs> it is surreal seeing people for the first time in person after seeing only your nuclear family and a handful of coworkers and strangers mm-hmm. in Wawa over the course of the last 14 months. It's weird. You walked in here just like it was any normal day, like in the courtroom. But then I was like, hey, what's up? It's nice to see your face, not through a computer. How are you? Right, right. And we're like 48 hours removed from the adjustment of CDC guidelines. Yes, we are. And uh, it's certainly going to take some getting used to as to what is acceptable, mm-hmm. um, what's legal, what's permissible, whatever the word is. I think there's a combination of the three because I don't think they're all the same, but uh, knowing when you should wear a mask, when you shouldn't. I was in Wawa this morning. Everyone masked up. Yep. Mm-hmm. Going to a basketball tournament this afternoon. Curious to see what I find. It's going to be interesting. And just for the record, we are fully vaxxed and not wearing masks because CDC said that's cool. Um, but it is interesting. I still wear a mask everywhere I go just in case. You know, I don't want people to be uncomfortable or whatnot, but... You're right. It's going to be a brave new world out there with the new CDC regs. It is. And what you just said at the end of your statement about people not being un- uncomfortable, I think a big part of masks um, is just about being courteous to mm-hmm. strangers. Yeah. I mean, the whole point of the mask in the beginning, we thought was actually protecting ourselves. But then I was like, wait a minute, you're protecting everyone else. So it's astounding to me, the people who still refuse to wear masks when it was actually taking care of your neighbor. But anyway, let's talk about you because I didn't really give you an intro here. So Chris and I worked together. You were actually basically one of my first mentors when I came out of law school working at the firm we were at together. Um, And we have since essentially reconnected since we've gone to different firms. And so tell me a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? Where you grew up? Give me the good Chris Fox background. So I am uh, a suburbanite like yourself, Mm -hmm. uh, Philadelphia suburbs, but really the... Um, other end of the world from here. In fact, when I typed your home into where I live, it was, I think, 58 miles. Yes. And we appreciate you driving (laughs) here. (laughs) And uh, so I am from the Western suburbs. Uh, More specifically, I'm from Delaware County, aka Delco, aka um, the center point of Mayor of Easttown, even though (laughs) I can't watch the show without critiquing (laughs) all the inaccuracies, particularly with the accent, which is overdone, inaccurate, <laughs> well, and distracting. you don't have an accent at all. Uh, well, <laughs> I, yes and no. I mean, there are certainly things, um, and in fact, my wife, this is so random, but what I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you what you call the small animal that has quills that it uses to protect itself. Porcupine. Porcupine, right. There's another word. Well, my <laughs> wife, who interestingly grew up in Philadelphia, thinks that the way that I say porcupine is, is weird. 
Like she wants to almost pronounce the U as opposed to a, a long Y. Where's your wife from? She actually grew up in Overbrook. Okay. Um, so which is part of West Philadelphia, um, right on the border with Lower Marion Township. So she says porcupine? I, I don't know porcupine? that she really says the word very often, but somehow the word came <laughs> How up. often are you guys and, saying this well, word? So my mom says water. Mm-hmm. And and I always said water, water ice, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, and, and I have to still consciously fight myself from saying that. So there are certainly words um, that I didn't even realize were kind of um, insular, like everyone calling their grandfather their pop-pop. Like apparently that's even a Philadelphia thing, mm-hmm. which I had no clue about. Right. And there are there is some semblance of a Delco accent, but... What we're hearing on Sunday nights on HBO is not that. It's funny because when I went, so I went to Notre Dame for college and I had no clue that I talked different than other people. And when I went out there, I mean, they pull people from all over the country and no one was making fun of the Texas accents. No one was making fun of the Midwest accents. It was my accent. Everyone was like, you have such a weird accent. And to me, we don't have accents at all. But now I'm realizing I say things very bizarrely and it's yeah. Philly. It's interesting. I think the New York Times um, had one of those infographics where you would have to answer like 50 questions mm-hmm. about vocabulary and different things. And then they were able to relatively accurately pinpoint where you were from based on what you called certain things. Like, for example, my purple sneakers. sneakers. Um, people from Pittsburgh, who I encountered a lot of at Penn State, where I went for undergrad, called these tennis shoes. No. Now, I called white shoes with non-marking soles that were worn on a court tennis shoes. I don't call Air Jordans mm-hmm. tennis shoes or running shoes or anything else. But to a Pittsburgher, sneakers are tennis shoes. So That's weird. Yeah. And, and like you encountered kind of a, a national audience or a national um, student body at Notre Dame, at Penn State. There were some students, obviously, from California, New York, Massachusetts, Maryland, Virginia, mm-hmm. But as you can imagine, vast majority are, Pen- are Pennsylvanians, but even within Pennsylvania, very unique Scranton accent, which mm-hmm. I find annoying, very unique Pittsburgh accent, <laughs> which I find annoying. Um, and then even I- I've encountered some people in representing injured workers from South Central Pennsylvania, like the Chambersburg area, where they have almost a Southern yeah. accent. It's mm-hmm. Upland South type of thing. It's... It's interesting. So it's even interesting though around Philly too. I mean, you can almost tell when someone's from South Philly or if they're from the West Side. Like you can kind of tell the different Philly dialects. Yeah. It's very interesting. And I think, you know, there is some correlation between um, you know, working class neighborhoods where people are more comfortable mm-hmm. um with the people around them. And just like I think a lot of people who consciously work to fight their accent when they get comfortable. Yeah. Like if you're you have a southern accent, but you, you came to the North to go to college and you want to assimilate and you try to fight that. But maybe if you have a couple glasses of wine and you're comfortable, then the Southern accent comes out. Or if you go home and you're around yeah. other Southerners, it's going to come back. And I think the same thing with accents in Philadelphia, the people that are in center city and they're all professionals and you know they want to sound like newscasters mm-hmm. versus if you go to like South Philly or, you know, Port Richmond or, um, different parts of Delco, places like where people are blue collar and th- their their father grew up there and their pop-up grew up there. They want to talk like yeah. th- their predecessors did. You do kind of like adopt 
weird accents. I know when I came back from Notre Dame, I had a lot of friends who went to, who lived in Texas. So I came back saying y'all and all right. my high school friends were like, stop it. Like, <laughs> yeah. absolutely not. Seems manufactured. It, uh, and it, and I, kept, <laughs> I still to date, still time say it. And you know, then when I lived in Philly and all of our injured workers are really based in Philly, or at least where we represent. And I started saying water. I've never said water in my life before. <laughs> and now sometimes I'll say water and my mom's like, what? I'm like, I don't, it's, uh, yeah. I'm adopting this accent yeah. because of who I hang out with. Um, I did not plan on talking about accents on this, but I really love the conversation. Yeah. But so you're from Delco and then you, where, where'd you go to school for high school? Cause I think you played football, didn't you? I went to Springfield high school, mm-hmm. which Springfield is um, really square in the middle of Delaware County. Mm-hmm. So Delaware County is not as homogenous as I think outsiders cast it as, um, that said, my town was very homogenous. I grew up in a town that was probably 80 to 90% Catholic, um, 80 to 90% Irish or Italian or some combination of the two. Um, and, and that was my first real experience growing up. Those were the people that were around me. Um, and my school, um, Springfield High School, really only contained two municipalities, Springfield Township and then Morton Barrow. And Morton was uh, much smaller population-wise, probably a quarter or a fifth of the size of Springfield. Mm-hmm. Morton was about 50-50 um, black and white, maybe even majority black. Oh, that actually does surprise me about Delco because I feel like I am an outsider to it. So I just, I don't expect it to be that diverse. Right. But then even, so in my high school, um, it was... You know, I think I graduated with 250. If we had 20 black students in my graduating class, that was that's probably an exaggeration. Okay. Um, and there, I didn't sense any racial tension in school. None. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, when I go back and reflect on, wow, these were guys that I really trusted um, on my football team. None of them were ever to my house. Mm-hmm. We didn't really sit together at lunch and it wasn't because we didn't like each other. It was just that that's probably what the class before us did and the class before that and the class before them. So Springfield is um, an interesting town. I had a great upbringing there. Um, But then as far as like if you go one way or the other, so like you could go 10 minutes um, kind of the southeast and you're in a much more working class area. Um, along the Delaware River, mm-hmm. Ridley Township, City of Chester, things like that, where there's a lot more industry and blue collar type work. Um, you can go 10 minutes the other way and then you're along the main line. Main line so yeah. you have Radnor Township, which is in Delaware County, uh, but that's where Villanova University is right. and it's part of the um, renowned main line and we're talking old Philadelphia suburban money. So even within Delco, I mean, it really, it runs the gamut. Yeah. And you're back in Delco now. You moved back. Yeah. Well, so I never really left other than uh, my four years at Penn State. That was really the only time I left Delaware County. I had moved around Delaware County. Mm -hmm. So I moved back to, uh, I I moved back home for law school. Um, Where'd you go? I went to Temple. Okay. um, Graduated in 02. So I left. uh, Go Owls. 
We're both Temple Law grads. Right, right. <laughs> and it's funny because I've already now dropped Penn State and Temple. And I know you're a Notre Damer. And I grew up in that Irish Catholic mentality where I grew up a, a Notre Dame football fan. My mm -hmm. grandfather was a big Notre Dame football fan. My dad went to Villanova. So I grew up a Villanova Hoops fan. Hated Temple, hated Penn State, but then that's where I ended up, ironically. So it's, it's kind of interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, I moved around um, in Delaware County. So after I graduated high school, uh, I'm sorry, law school, I uh, bought a house in Havertown, which is mm -hmm. um, Haverford Township, which is Delaware County. And we were there for about 10 and a half years, um, but my family was expanding and we couldn't find a place. Four kits. Four kits. Yeah, my four kits. <laughs> my yep. four kits. Um, so we ended up moving a little further west. Um, we're now in Newtown Square, which is really, I live, um, no exaggeration, 150 yards from the Chester County line. So I'm okay. on like the western terminus of Delaware County now. With your kids and your animals. Because you got yeah. like a mini farm going on. Well, yeah, right now the farm only has one dog and we have seven chickens now. Yes. Um, no horses or goats yet? No, I feel like I'm just waiting for the no, day you drop that although picture. I did on a Sunday morning a couple weeks ago, Bill Bradley on this show on POTUS um, had a guy on that did donkey adoption. And I'm like, that would be phenomenal. Okay. Um, and something I didn't realize about donkeys is apparently... They're very adaptable. Obviously, they're hard workers, but they can get adapted to very cold weather, very hot weather. They don't need much, um, but they do need housing, which I don't have, even though I have a lot of grass. I think for them you're going to gonna get a donkey and you're going to be a donkey dad. <laughs> I would love, and folks like. that live not too far from me have alpacas. Okay. Um, which I would love to have, and it would help on the landscaping bill if I could just have a couple grazing alpacas. Um, but, oh my gosh, it's yeah. amazing. I would love yeah. to come by your house and just see these alpacas grazing yeah. outside. Uh, like. It would be phenomenal. Um, and as you can see, I, I, I'm not, uh, I probably don't look like a farmer. So um, getting my hands dirty, it's, it's chickens, surprisingly, um, are, first of all, easy animals to take care of. They require food, water, and um, not much else, not a ton of space. Mm -hmm. We do let them out and let them kind of roam around. And unfortunately, we've lost some over the years. Some we found, some we haven't found. We have foxes, we have hawks. So, yeah. wow. Yeah. So that's a little harsh. Um, I remember I was in a deposition with our first set of chickens. We had four chickens, our very first go at it. One of them turned out to be a rooster. So he had to be rehomed. Oh. His name was Eleanor. <laughs> All of our chickens, we give them like old lady names. And that particular chicken's name was Eleanor. Oh, um, Eleanor. And we found out Eleanor. We started to hear crowing early in the morning. Mm. And then we were like, uh, it's, he was getting a little aggressive. And so he had to be rehomed. Um, but we, so we had three hens left. Um, and I was actually in a deposition. And my wife called or texted me and was like, something happened. And it was like an overcast day, like late afternoon, and a fox got into our yard and just, it was like a crime scene. So, of oh course, God. I had to go home and clean that, that up. That is horrible. Yeah. So, after that, we took a year off and then we kind of, <laughs> those chickens, we used to literally let them out like at eight in the morning and they would just roam between our yard and then we had two neighbors who didn't mind. If, yeah. And like, it's, they're interesting animals because chickens, the term come home to roost. 
they're like they have an innate sense when the sun's starting to go down they come home and they go into their coop and they get on their roosting pole it's like really, really? interesting yeah it's so funny you said I don't look like a farmer because not everyone's gonna be watching the video cast, but Chris is like a fresh cut, nice outfit on, like nice purple kicks. Like you don't look like a farmer at all. No, no, but it's uh yeah, it it's and my youngest son um isn't really into sports. He he likes video games, but we're trying to, you know, help him find his way and he does like helping to take care of the animals. So mm-hmm. Um, he, he works with me to make sure that the chickens have water, food, yeah, all that. So that's awesome. And they're trainable too. Like when they're out, if they see me coming, they know that the way they usually go home, if they don't go into their coop on their own is they get basically this mix of like seeds, which is almost like a dog treat to them. When they see me come, they come running out of wherever they are because they know they're about to get Look at you. Treat. Yeah, the it's chicken pretty interesting. Whisper. I, yeah. I'm not a big bird fan, so I'm going to leave the chickens to you. <laughs> I will come Nor was I before this. I just, I'm actually scared of birds, so I don't know if I could handle Like, if you tried to hand me that chicken, no, absolutely not. Yeah, I would never touch yeah, it. Yeah. I have it's, no interest. I don't know how we got there, but <laughs> we're there. So I wanted to talk to you, have you on this podcast, really, because what I like doing on the podcast is trying to delve into difficult topics um, I know you listened to Jenna's podcast. Um, Raphael Kasher was on here. We haven't dropped his podcast yet. Um, but to talk especially about issues that a lot of white people don't normally talk about, racial issues, class issues. Um, and we've connected on a lot of that because of a nonprofit that you're starting. But before we get to the nonprofit, I kind of want to talk about you and your journey. For mm-hmm. people who can't see you, you're, how old are you? I just turned 44. Sorry, sorry I'm going to blow your spot there. I'm like, <laughs> no, I don't. I'm not. Secretive about my age, 44. So you're a 44-year-old white male, and you grew up in a middle-class family? Middle-class? Yeah, no, I would... So in my homogenous town, um, there were no poor people, there were no rich people. Okay. But my family was very comfortable. Okay. um, Never had to worry about money. Okay. Which was... That in and of itself was a luxury. I, I never heard my parents argue about money. I never was told something's too expensive. I don't think I was spoiled. Mm-hmm. My siblings and I all started working in our early teens and worked, you know, through summers and everything else. Um, but that said, uh, you know, as far as you know, we needed this baseball bat for the season or whatever. It yeah. was never, never really a question. So that, um, on its own was, was really a blessing to not ever have to worry about where my next meal is going to come or whether I can afford to go to this baseball game or yeah. this school or whatever. And I grew up in a very similar type thing. I didn't know my family was well off. I mean, if I went to the mall, my dad was handing me a $5 bill and that was <laughs> right, like, right, there right. was no spoiling right. going on, but I never worried. Like I wasn't right. ever concerned about anything. I never even thought there was like worlds where people worried about that type right. of stuff, but that I eventually learned that was just, I was so privileged. I didn't understand. Um, but I grew up in a very similar situation. Right. You. Um, so basically uh, you I guess in 2020, something happens with you um, in general. And I, I remember you talking about something going on with Facebook that led you to start your nonprofit. I want to kind of, you yeah. don't have to jump right to Facebook that encounter, but Kind of where'd you get to where you're, cause there's a stereotype out there about middle-aged white middle-class men um, that, you know, they are not 
what people call woke. Um, right. And you are shattering that stereotype. <laughs> right, right, right. So I wanted to have right. you on here to talk about that a little bit, about your journey to essentially anti-racism and you know, equity, all that good stuff. Right. Well, I will, um, I'll give a shout out to my parents, first of all, because I came from a background to just paint the picture. I've already told you my dad's a Villanova grad. Uh, my mom actually went to Immaculata, which is a small Catholic school, which was all girls at that time. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know if Villanova had women in the, in the sixties or not, but um it was kind of a sister school of Villanova. So okay. I grew up in a household where um, my dad has said to me he would never vote for a Democrat. And I don't know if he ever has, um, but um, he was the classic, you know, Wall Street Republican slash Reagan Republican slash whatever, fiscally conservative, where his number one political concern ever was the stock market. Mm -hmm. Keep taxes down, keep the stock market up. I'm good. Mm -hmm. um, my mom, I, my understanding, and I never really talked to her about this a whole lot, but I think growing up, my mom was probably registered as a Republican and probably voted Republican frequently. Um, but she is like, every time I go into her house now, like MSNBC's on and I'm like, mom, like you need to diversify <laughs> your, your news or just a little turn bit, it off. get some different perspectives. <laughs> Um, but even though my dad was a Republican, um, I literally never heard my parents say a bad thing. Certainly never heard the N word or any other kind of derogatory terms for minorities, gays, even nothing, nothing. Mm -hmm. Um, and because of that, it, it never was something that really was part of my vocabulary, obviously, or part of my psyche. My parents just didn't think that way. Mm -hmm. um, and that was really, I think, key in me kind of forging my own identity early on. I mean, when I, I talked about earlier going to a high school with um, probably 80, 80 or 90 percent white people and a very small minority of African-Americans, not much else. Um, but I never felt uncomfortable about my black around my black classmates, my black teammates on my football team. Um, I just didn't. And I never thought any less of them. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that I can say that about everyone that was around, but I, I do credit my parents and I didn't have a perfect childhood. I mean, my parents got divorced when I was in middle school. It was a really tough time. Um, but um, they were definitely as came to race relations and just being courteous to everyone they that they, they definitely um fit that mold my dad went to puerto rico for business very frequently his he worked for pharmaceutical that had manufacturing plant in puerto rico interacting with puerto rico puerto rican businessmen puerto rican um, factory workers like mm -hmm. nothing negative like yeah. you, you hear i was listening to i listened to jenna's podcast but i was listening to to just get a feel for um, your podcast, I also listened to the um, pilot episode of Young Black Suburban and, and like they were talking about like people wanting to act like they're black or act like they're Puerto Rican or all these like weird, mm -hmm. like, I, I don't know if it was where I grew up, but I didn't see a lot of that. Okay. And I certainly didn't hear or observe a lot of negativity. But yeah. now as an adult, I'm realizing 
a lot of it was there kind of just lurking under the surface. So that's, it's very, like everything you say is, it's very similar to how I grew up. Now my mom is the opposite. She was like, I would never vote for a Republican and she's very right. liberal and progressive. My dad's pretty moderate, um, tries to bring Rainer back in, right. but I didn't ever hear any words like that either growing up. And I don't remember it ever being even on my radar. Like I just never thought about it because it was never addressed in my house. It just, they didn't, it was just kind of everyone's the same. I don't remember actively being taught one way or the other, right. but then it was as I was growing older and kind of breaking the bubble and going out into the world. And I was like, Oh wait, what's going on here? And right. Jen and I talked about that a lot about learning that type of stuff and that there is a lot of racism, homophobic, everything that's still goes sexism, classism that's still going on in the world. When did you start to like really realize that, you know, there's actually a a lot of stuff going on, maybe not in your household, but actually the well, inequities that are going on in our country. Well, I think I was always aware of the inequities. Mm -hmm. um, I'm somebody who loves history. And I think that I probably knew a little more about the accurate history of our nation than, you know, the average person. Mm -hmm. um, certainly not a historian um, or a political scientist or anything like that. Um, but I felt like just because academically, I always, social studies was always my favorite subject, whether it was geography or history or, you know, sociology, political science, whatever, anything that kind of fell under the umbrella of social studies, I was interested in, not a math and science person, not necessarily an English type. Mm -hmm. um, so social studies was just where I like to be academically. So I, I feel like I was aware of our history, probably with a little more um, honesty than others. Um, but what I think was kind of the turning point for me was as social media has become more prevalent, um, particularly over the course of the last couple of years with the issues with race relations being in the forefront, the pandemic, and, you know, obviously the election of 2020 the and the, tra politics? the transition of power, which never really <laughs> was fully effectuated. Um, it with social media, it, it gives a platform for anyone who wants to say whatever they want to a, a broad audience. So mm -hmm. it could have been plenty of moms and dads in the town I grew up in felt the way that moms and dads feel in the town I live in now, but they didn't have that voice for um, widespread communication. Mm -hmm. um, now with Facebook, um, you learn probably a lot more about your friends and neighbors than maybe you'd like to know. And with the politics, there was a leader in power for four years who was saying it's okay to feel that way. I mean, yep. he validated a lot of nasty things that people might have kept hidden. Um, that are now just, it's okay to be this way. That's, yeah, that's absolutely true. And um, I, what I have found with um, my quote unquote friends on Facebook, I think old friends um, know each other better than, than new friends. And so, and what I mean by that is um, I have a lot of friends that I grew up with who I know, and, and it's known and we talk about it. We don't see eye to eye politically. Mm -hmm. I still feel the vast, vast majority of those people are decent people. Um, so what I try to do is not necessarily change their mind, but certainly um, if we're in a social setting, um, particularly if there's alcohol involved, 
Um, like if you're out at a bar or at a baseball game or anywhere, um, you don't want to engage in that political mm -hmm. discourse there. Um, sadly, I think people that have known me um, for less time may think I'm some far left radical. I always view myself as, a, as, as moderate. Mm -hmm. um, and in fact, I, you know, I never voted for a Republican president. Um, I, I, in fact, registered when we registered in government class in senior year in high school, I registered as a Republican because that's what everybody around me did. Mm -hmm. But then the first presidential election I voted in was 96. I voted for Bill Clinton. Then in 2000, I voted for Al Gore. And at some point, shortly after I registered, I switched my party affiliation. Um, but I, I, I wouldn't say I would never vote for a Republican. Mm -hmm. In fact, um, I considered voting for John McCain. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the things that I said to myself, let's see who they pick as their vice presidents, Barack Obama and John McCain. Barack Obama chose Joe Biden. John McCain it's funny chose back on that. <laughs> Sarah Palin. You didn't want to vote for, for Sarah Palin. <laughs> so, and and you know what? It's it's the people around him that let him make that choice. Mm -hmm. Um and and Sarah Palin I think was like a little bit of a sneak preview of like the Marjorie Taylor Greens yep. and the uh Christy Gnomes and all the other and I don't want to stereotype about like young uh, female politicians, and I should probably put, you know, Matt well, Gates and many others yeah. in that category. Um, but that was it for me as far as Obama versus McCain. There was, there was no question in my mind. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it is interesting to think back. It, it's crazy looking back on that. Like yeah. Joe Biden and he was just uncle Joe. Like, right. I feel like it was just like, Oh, there's a nice guy. And then it's just like, Huh, now he's our president. Very interesting. Right. But like people, there are people that my kids, you know, go to school with parents who think that like, you know, Joe Biden is uh, a Russian um, mm -hmm. instrument or a Chinese instrument, whatever. Um, I, I just, I don't feel that way. Yeah. Um, obviously. And I just, I, I try to avoid, I obviously don't want to. Um, burn bridges for my kids. I don't want to be uncomfortable around people. Right. But my point was, I think the people that know me and that grew up with me know my makeup, um, know my work ethic, know that I care about people. Mm -hmm. um, and the people that I've known for five years maybe don't know much about me other than what they see, see me writing on Facebook, which I've tried to rein in because I've come to the conclusion it's you're not a, changing anyone's mind. You're not mind. changing anyone's mind. And like, I think ultimately with you, Chris, is that it's almost beyond politics. Like, it's just, you know what's right and what's wrong and treating people equally. Has, and that's kind of like what got into this point. I know it's in America, it's been cast as a Republican Democratic view when it shouldn't be. It's human rights. Um, but I feel like when I read stuff that you post, I don't feel the politics. I feel like you just know... A, like everyone's equal everyone's a human and deserves right. to be treated equally so what right. happened in 2020 with the facebook so it was really the confluence of two two things um that led to the formation of the right legacy one was the exhausting arguments and debate on social media and people being 
if you're if you're if you you support Black Lives Matter, then you hate all police. Mm-hmm. Um, or you know, if if you're a police officer or a soldier, then you're a baby killer and a racist. Mm-hmm. It's not obviously that simple. And um, you you would see these arguments, and you just couldn't. No one could win. No one could win. Um, and I, I I would go down the rabbit hole at, like mm-hmm. a lot of people did, and just I would feel so awful. Um, would I, you know, oh, I could zing somebody and feel like, oh, I'm smarter than that person. I got them. But at the end of the day, I'm like, what did that accomplish? Um, and then I knew that there were a lot of people that when I would like see them in Wawa or, you know, picking my kids up from school, they're like that guy, like he's an asshole. Um, he's a socialist, which I'm not, um, or any other negative buzzword. Um, so I, I just was like, you know what? I need to channel that energy into something that is going to be really hard for people to not like. Mm-hmm. And if they don't like it, then maybe we're not the same kind of person. Um, and the other thing was, you know, I had been doing a lot of coaching um, of youth sports and I was getting a little burned out on it. I love sports. I always have. Um, and I enjoy coaching, but dealing with, you know, cer- certain almost political elements of coaching mm-hmm. gets tiring. And like, I, I understood, you know, if a parent wasn't happy about something, they're, they're complaining or speaking out because they love their kid. Right. I, I, I get that. Like I'm a parent too. And like, I've been in situations where my kid is uh, my younger son who I mentioned um, isn't really into sports. Like he Dean literally, machine. the Dean machine, his little league coach would literally bat him and two other kids seventh eighth and ninth in every single game um and just rotate them between seventh eighth and ninth and i i just didn't understand and we're talking about like eight-year-old kids yeah, like kids like hide one of them second yeah put one of them sixth one game also, spread it who out who cares they're eight right. so like i would see <laughs> stuff like that and it would make my blood boil yeah um but i would try not to you know because i understood hey this person's a volunteer too um mm-hmm. but I realized I had to take a step back from coaching. So that was going to free up some time. Um, And so I started to think of like, what can I do? What talent maybe do I have? Or what experience do I have um, beyond being an ex-jock that can coach? So that's when I thought about, I got to do something in the legal arena. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wanted to do something that had kind of a social justice mission to it. And I started to kind of just call around. Um, I called a guy from college that um, lives out in LA, um, married to a black woman. And um, I knew he was a teacher in a neighborhood with a primarily Hispanic um, student body. So I'm like, this guy, well, he knows what's up. (laughs) So I started to talk to different people. I called you. I called some of my friends. I called people that I knew were Republicans, Mm -hmm. like, in the category that I described earlier, there are people that are on the right legacy that are Republicans, mm-hmm. yeah. um, but it, it doesn't, that, that didn't disqualify anyone. So I started to call around and I called lawyers that I trusted and respected, but I also called people that I thought could give some different perspectives. Like my friend from college who lived in LA um, and is in a mixed race family and teaches in a Hispanic neighborhood. I'm like, this guy is going to 
tell me some he's stuff great, by the that way. I can, and he's brilliant. He is. But like, I literally called him on a, he's like, can we talk on Sunday morning? So I think I called him at 10 a.m. So this is like 7 a.m. in California. And um, I came away from the call. I was like shook. I was like rocked. I'm like, this dude is so far to the left. I was like intimidated <laughs> because his ideas, and maybe that's because, um, you know, he's in Southern California mm-hmm. in a so-called liberal bubble. And like that has enabled him to like kind of push things to the extreme. Whereas I'm in this like slightly red area where I'm pretty purple. Right. It's purple. But yeah. like my, my particular town isn't mine's mine's more like, you know, it's, it's, it's redder than it, it is. is so anyway, I, I was like, Whoa, like I felt like there's so much I don't know. And um, obviously I wanted to get perspective from women and, when you get perspective from, from African-Americans and uh, Spanish speakers, you know, our former coworker, Rafael Castro, who is somebody I love. On the podcast. Respect. Phenomenal guy on the podcast yeah. earlier. Um, but when I, and, and I knew that he had worked in a youth court before. So I'm right. like, I'm calling Raf. Um, and, and I heard you and Jenna talking about like, tokenism. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I'm trying to be mindful of like, I'm not going to have a board of directors that has 10 people. I'm not going to say, I need four whites, four blacks, yeah. two Hispanics, five women, five men. It's not what I was going to do. I looked at it more like um, I was almost like a general manager building the dream yeah. team, right? And you need diversified perspectives. You do. You do. And it's you not do. about putting someone into a category based on their sex or their right. age or their or their race. It's about drawing from their experiences. Exactly. I am a an Irish slash German Catholic white straight male. You like, basically just describe me as that dumb a girl. Exactly, <laughs> and that's the thing. I don't fall into any protect yeah. other than now that I'm over forty, which you are not. I fall into the older worker category, as you know, the Age Discrimination and Employment Act. Forty and up is an older worker. <laughs> oh wait, hold crazy. On. That's a good. Hold on. That's a good segue. I almost forgot. Oh, Chris brought me. I brought a gift. I brought a gift. I brought a gift. And um, so your podcast is called what? Young Blonde Suburban. Young Blonde Suburban. I'm nerve. I am suburban. I am not young and I'm not blonde. But at one point in my life, I was all three of those things. So last night I was trying to find the bag of my childhood that my mom dropped off at my house in like a Swiss farms grocery store bag, like five years ago, I couldn't find it. So I started scrolling through pictures and I found, I wanted to present you with this picture of me as a young <laughs> blonde suburban. Oh my God. And I did this black is getting and white. Brained. I did it in the black and white. So it would look like one of those. Oh, look at you making the Chardonnay joke on here. Yeah. 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 Look, this is young blonde suburban. And we accept all genders here. <laughs> and, 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 and it, in your podcast, even though you didn't say my last name, you protected me in that regard. I heard a joke about me being misinformed because when I wrote I an article about Jen and, and, and your meeting <laughs> that I referenced Chardonnay, which you is apparently the drink of a 60 year old I woman. do not drink Chardonnay. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a red wine drinker myself. Oh, Sauvignon Blanc, please. Which I agree. It's probably the white wine of choice. This is fantastic. I love this. Hold on. Let's just, you know, 
Let's just put this up here on the <laughs> All right, we are good to go. So, it looks a little bit like a memorial, but and I like that it. was probably when I was in like second grade. Um, so I had like a like a normal quote unquote normal mm -hmm. boy haircut, but I was born in '77, so my hair when I was like blonde, blonde as a two year old, one year old, two year old was like below my you know it yeah. was the 70s so i had long blonde hair Wait, you have another thing what's going on no, over there in your okay. hand so i have <laughs> so i have the picture that that's actually from which is i'm going to completely change gears on you here if if i may go for it um so when i was looking through i have a box uh, a shoe box um a dossier if you will of incriminating pictures of people from college you know parties and everything else um, but mixed into that, I also have all these pictures from my childhood, which I don't know my mom or dad gave them to me at some point and they'd win this shoebox. Um, so I was rifling through that, trying to find a picture that I, I could use for that. And this is, this is the original picture. So this is the original color uncropped picture. Wow. Right? So truly are young blonde suburban. Right. Right. So, but the reason I wanted you to see the whole picture was if you look to the right of me, you'll see a bonfire. That is a raging bonfire. Insane. If you look to the left of me, you'll see another little boy who has what appears to be a like, Native American yes. headdress on. Okay. Right. So that photo is taken and I'm wearing a black t-shirt, which you mm -hmm. can't see the front of, but on the front of my t-shirt, it said crow in big white letters, which was the name of my tribe. The Crow Tribe and something called Indian Guides. Have you ever heard of Indian Guides? I have Guides heard before? of Indian Guides because of the movie with John, Jonathan Taylor Thomas when we were growing up. Oh, well, I, don't, I don't remember that. It's like an Indian Guide movie. He okay. like goes on with his stepdad or whatnot. Okay. Like, yeah, right. Well, so Indian Guides um, and the female version, Indian Princesses. Stop. Uh, my brother, sister, and I were all in Indian Guides or Indian Princesses. Is kind of like a Cub Scouty type of thing. Mm -hmm. But it was to spend time with your dad. So I was the youngest one. So I was the third one to go through this. And I had a, a tribe and um, we would meet either at the local school or more typically we would go to another. Like, so I would say once a month we would have a meeting at so-and-so's house and we would sit around and we would make a craft and it would be an Indian themed craft or a Native American themed craft. And so um, I had like a vest that was made out of like brown vinyl mm -hmm. from like Joanne Fabrics. Yeah. Um, we made uh, like we got feathers for different things for awards. The so each and it was broken up um, into tribes and then there was a nation. Um, and what reminded me of Indian Guides was so Jenna said Lanape, Lanape. I don't know if you heard her say that, but I was like, what the heck did she just say? And I, I still didn't have time to cross-reference this. I'm going to go ahead and guess she said it correctly. But what I Do you say her, Lenape? Lenape. That's how I've had this conversation. Right. So, I say Lenape. So the Lenai Lenape were, or Lenai Lenape, whatever, however it is pronounced, I should probably get that right, were the Indian tribe or Native American tribe in our area. Mm -hmm. So our nation was called the Lenai Nation. Um, and my friend's dad, who is the chief of the nation, had a full on headdress. headdress. Full on headdress. 
35 year old white guy with oh, a beard um, would come out. So we would, so we would meet monthly, but then twice a year we had camping trips mm-hmm. and the camping trips um, by day would be um, sh- shooting bows and arrow, Nature shooting guns. guns. That, was, that was really probably the only time. Yeah. Rifles, not BB guns, like with bullets at a rifle range. Oh, um, like little, I don't even know what, ca- like, it wasn't like no yeah. kickback, but they were bullets that you were loading into these things, not BBs. Um, and then there would be like Olympics where we would have tugs of war mm-hmm. and softball. And so it was great fun for the kids. But then by night, the dads would like party. Booze. You know, there would be uh, beer, whatever. And then like our dads would go the extra mile and they would bring like lobsters and be like, Oh, boiling boiling lobsters and like <laughs> the kids the loved it now that picture i look clean but like there are other pictures where we literally have like we would like put the cork in the fire and then like yeah. paint like war paint on ourselves and stuff and we were completely neglected from you know friday afternoon at four o'clock when we got picked when we left with our dads to go to the poconos or mm-hmm. the eastern shore of maryland wherever the camp was they were all over um and we loved it but like the funny thing is like the whole organization was like built on these native american stereotypes oh yeah like as you're saying this i am cringing right but i remember these guides and these groups growing up and not thinking twice about it right not thinking twice right but all this now i'm like yeah so i mean that was when i heard lenape um that and i showed you this list i just things were popping into my head oh yeah jenna and it's just like random like buzzwords like, which may not make sense to you, but there's all. So story. Chris, basically, just for background, Chris was listening to Jenna Mesa's, um, Jenna King, sorry, gave her maiden <laughs> name there. Um, Jenna King's podcast. And we all work together on, well, basically just in the work comp world in general. Um, but so Chris had sent me some buzzwords about things that stood out to him so let's (laughs) i want to get into because you brought it up earlier white qb delaware yeah this is there's not a whole lot there but i so when jenna said um when she was another one is really sticking undergrad (laughs) at widener she would go to black student union meetings Mm -hmm. um to meet with her you know fellow students at widener but it was one time where she felt like um, she was in the major minority. That's that's really probably probably the, seems uh, inconsistent. I'm not. She was she was the clear minority, perhaps only white student that would be at these meetings. Mm-hmm. So it put her out of this comfort zone a little bit. So as Jenna was answering your questions, I kept thinking of like the Lenai Lenape thing and. Everything she said um, jogged some other memory in yeah. my mind. And like, so when I was, I want to say it was when I was in law school, um, a buddy of mine, a black guy that I went to high school with had asked me to come and play on his, I think it was flag football. I think it was rough touch football, extremely physical, very, very rough <laughs> football league. And, uh, but the thing that was different about it was on my team, we had, probably 20 players and I was one of only two white guys on the team and the teams that we played against. Um, I don't know that there were any white guys. So like I would literally drive to a park somewhere in like Wilmington, Delaware, like Glen Mills, Pennsylvania and pull up and I would get out and I would be the only white person there. Um, 
which it wasn't a threatening environment, although some of these guys were pretty intimidating. And even though it was rough touch, like you could get knocked on your butt and elbowed or whatever. But I was, and it was a little cliche because I was a quarterback, you know, they didn't have kickers or punters, but, but, uh, you know, I was, I was a quarterback, um, which then, you know, that's a whole nother topic about white versus black QBs. But, um, my point was, it was one of the few experiences that I've had where I walked into some environment where I was the clear minority. Mm -hmm. And again, this is Sunday morning rec football it wasn't yeah. it wasn't school um wasn't a job yeah uh it wasn't anything like that but it gave me some semblance of that experience and that's the thing it gives you a taste of kind of what it's like to be a minority in a professional setting but just in general we still don't even understand what it's like to be black or brown whatever not white any every right. single day you know like you're like you're saying you didn't feel threatened even though you were the minority in that situation. That's unfortunately not the situation for a lot of minorities. You know, right. they do feel threatened just by the color of their skin every day. Yep. Um, there's something else you wrote here. I can't tell if they go together. It says double agent and then it says gay lesbian. <laughs> and I no, they do not go together. Don't even know which one to start with. So you start. Sure. So they are two completely Some separate. Some of these are topics. so great. I don't even. Yeah, we go could. Ahead. We could. I I, I know now where I want to go next. All right. <laughs> and after this, I want to take a real short, like one minute break, if we could. But so with the double agent, um, what I mean by that, and this is interesting, um, and you, I, I, my guess is you've probably experienced some of this yourself. So based on the way I look, the way I dress, where I grew up, all that, what I do, I think that there are people that assume that I think a certain way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and I'm not talking about, well, it could go either way. It could be a, a, a black person may think, oh, look at this guy. Or it could be somebody who looks more like me and they think this guy is like me. So I can say the N word mm-hmm. or I can, you know, criticize black people and call them lazy. Or I can say something about welfare or any other talking point, not realizing that like, so the way I say I'm a double agent is they may think I'm on their side, but I'm not, I'm not on your side. Yeah. I'm not on your side. I don't think like that. Yeah. So for me, I think that part of the white experience is very different than the black experience because um, even though I heard some things on the young uh, black suburban where he was talking about his old boss saying like horrible things. Right. To him. Um, I remember he that had episode. Some, um, but I think that was Tim talking too. I think. Yeah, yeah it, it was. was but yeah. my point is where, while um, some people who have a certain mindset may, I'm trying to avoid certain inflammatory <laughs> terms, but if you have a certain mindset, you may be more guarded when you're around, say you don't like black people or you don't yeah. like Jewish people. Um, you may be a little more guarded when you're around them, but when you're around the people that look and you think may are going to mirror like your you, thoughts, yeah, then you're going to. Um, so I've taken in a lot of that. I got um, and that's definitely um, reinforced my views. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't make me want to be like that. It makes me want to be anti that. So, like when you talk about anti racism, like yeah. Me being quiet and like Facebook is is deadly. It really is. Um, Twitter, they all are. 
to a certain degree, there's, there's, you know, you're going to, if, if you argue with somebody on Twitter, you're less likely to like see that person at the local grocery store than you are somebody you're friends with on Facebook, but it's really hard to, to change someone's mind there. Um, but I think it is, um, very, very important that if you want to make a positive change, you can't sit back. So while that may not mean engaging in every political argument you can on Facebook, it means doing something. That's going to segue doing perfectly something. into the right legacy. I'm not going to let you get up because we're going to wrap up here anyway. So, okay. um, but I agree with you. I think it's also having these conversations. I mean, we are obviously two white people and right. we can't understand that perspective, but just having white people talk about the things that they can't understand and kind of bringing those voices up and amplifying them. Right. Legacy. Mm -hmm. We talked about it a little bit. Yeah. Okay. So the general mission, what you're doing with it. Um, tell us about the right sure. legacy. All right. And I, I don't want to butcher this or um, get the order out of order, but the, the, the mission is, we Putting are starting you on the spot to with this. excite, <laughs> inspire, and energize. Those Nailed are the it. words. Um, excite, inspire, and energize underrepresented youth <laughs> who are interested in a career in law. Now, that is how many words? 10, 12 words? Um, those, arriving at those 10 or 12 words took a lot of work. Oh, yeah. We went back and forth um, Because, again, things... And, and we had um, an educational consultant from a private school down in Texas who's... One of our contributors who was, uh, I was introduced to him through a friend and he said, listen, this guy is going to call you out. If you say something that isn't right, he is going to call you out. So I'm like, this Which is a perfect good. guy. Yeah. So like when we're, when we're putting this out there, we want to make sure right out of the gate, if we have 10 words or 12 words that represent what we are, we don't want those to be loaded words. Right. Is there some ambiguity? What is underrepresented youth? There's some ambiguity, but that ambiguity invites flexibility. And it's not saying if you want to be in this program, you have to be black, you have to be poor, whatever. And you had asked about gay, lesbian, double agent, separate things. Oh, but right, like gay right, and lesbian. Right. So like another group um, that another marginalized I, group. They are extremely and like one of the last groups where you it is okay to say because of my religion. I hate you. Yep. I hate you. People don't so much as say that about black people. Um, maybe they did in the fifties and they would say, Oh, this is, you know, part of the Baptist religion is like <laughs> segregationist. I don't know, but it's still perfectly okay to say, I, mean, I hate you. just came out and said it was wrong. Yeah. So. And that's a progressive, <laughs> a, you know, progressive, quote, quote, progressive Pope. Pope. Um, so th they're included in this, Absolutely. This group too, um, because they are, they're certainly an underrepresented and um, a, a group that probably doesn't have a lot of political clout right now. Terrorized. I mean, constantly. Yeah. Attacks. And it's like, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. That's a different discussion. But my point is we, we were a little ambiguous by design mm -hmm. because we wanted to be inclusive, not right. exclusive. So, I know myself, um, and you, you talked to Jenna about how she wanted to become a lawyer and she went from shoplifting to, poli <laughs> to policing to lawyering um, in two steps. <laughs> but um, for me, it wasn't such a clear path as much as it was. I told you I always love social studies history. Mm -hmm. I do like writing. Um, 
And I at Penn State, that's the type of school where more people than not are there with a very kind of practical, I'm going to be an engineer. Yeah. I'm going to be a businessman, you know, whatever. I, I was in the College of Liberal Arts, which, you know, I didn't really know what the heck I wanted to do. So I kind of like just like processed it through. I changed my majors a couple times and mm-hmm. actually oddly ended up in this major called Labor and Industrial Relations, which is in liberal arts, but it's has some business component to it. But um, kind of then I ended up in law was school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so anyway, I ended up in law school. But my point was, I wasn't a great... I actually got better grades in law school by far than I did in college. Because at that point, I realized, like, this is what, what I do. I got, um, but it took... I, I, I'm certain um, that people helped me along the way. Mm-hmm. I know it. I know the people that helped me. Um, I didn't have lawyers in my family, but I had you know, a friend of a friend or one of my aunt's good friends was someone who um, let me work for her and, you know, um, had a connection at Temple and whether that helped me get in there or not, I don't know. I'm guessing it probably did. So my point is um, I want to provide that nudge. I I can't pave the way. I can't pay for these kids to go to school. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's a kid that knows nothing about what a lawyer is other than what they see, um, on the news of somebody getting arrested and then being on criminal trial or like a law and order, um, or an SVU, like these crazy shows on TV, yeah. that's all they know about being a lawyer. I want them to realize there's such a broad array of careers. You can. And if you want to do it, you can do it. And, you know, I, it was one of the podcasts, Tim Witherspoon and I have done too. I was on his and then he was my first show. And I think he told the story on here. I think I was talking about the right legacy since I'm on the board with it. And he was talking about how, when he was growing up and he grew up in Bucks County, he still didn't think he could ever be a lawyer or doctor. It was just not something that was on his radar. He thought he was going to be a rapper or a professional athlete, which he was both, but (laughs) (laughs) it was just, it's exactly what you're trying to do with the right legacy is to essentially expose kids to say, you don't have to look like what the lawyers look like right now. And the, the, the legal field is predominantly dominated with white people, white males. I mean, white females as well. Um, but it is, it's such an awesome mission. And I was so excited when you called me because it's so important because I think the major change that we're going to see in this country is going to be coming from the next generation who are breaking down the stereotypes that were built up for them. I want to sneak in one more you can. Buzzwords. And then I'm going to do my final question. Then we're yep. going to wrap up here. So, and, and again, this gets into, I think, the way you and I grew up and some of the resistance we're seeing to some of these potentially positive changes. Mm-hmm. So I wrote negotiation dash pie. I so, was going to ask about that okay. one just because I saw the word pie and I so, <laughs> wanted to know what was going on there. <laughs> so what made me think about that? I forget exactly what you and Jenna talked about, but one of, I think the key understandings of being a good negotiator is it's not necessarily winning and losing. Okay. So you may have a certain set of objectives going into a negotiation and I may have a completely different set. And sometimes it's about dollars and cents. Sometimes it's about some other term. But my point is, if a mediation or an arbitration or whatever type of negotiation ends with a resolution, 
it doesn't mean that one side won and one side lost. Mm -hmm. It means the parties forged an agreement where they each gave up a little something. Compromise. All right. Um, and that's obviously business, that's law, whatever. It's our bread and butter. Um, but the pie analogy, I, I'm, I'm feeling um, from people that they think that mm -hmm. if this black kid from Chester High or Strawberry Mansion High goes to law school, ultimately, then that's a spot that kid from Lower Marion High School or kid from Central Bucks East isn't going to get. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily the case. Okay, right. It doesn't mean that if we give a path to someone else that they're taking from you. Right. All right. Gotcha. And it's the same thing with jobs and everything else. Relate this to immigration. They're taking our jobs. Oh they're taking gosh. our jobs. It, you got to see it like we're broadening our horizon. We're not mm -hmm. tug of warring here. Right. And that's what I, I, a lot of female empowerment groups always say, you know, it's not just, it's not fighting over for that one seat at the table, just making a bigger table and getting right. everyone to the table and listening to everyone's voices there. I like that. The negotiation pie. Yeah. <laughs> everyone wants a piece of pie. Everyone does. I, I thought Depending. of pizza when I said that, but yeah, they're definitely. You thought different. of pizza pie well, when you say pie? Pizza pie. I don't say, I don't know why I thought of that, but pizza, I mean, not that pie isn't sliced, but like a, a pizza is always pre-sliced, you know, where if you got an apple pie from a bakery, you could kind of I got gotcha. it. I, I don't gotcha. know. Okay. I, that's, that's, I guess why I thought of it that way. <laughs> so. Anyway. All right. So the way that, first off, thank you for all of your thoughts today. Um, I, we, we burn. We I, burn. <laughs> that's because I had two cups of coffee and kept talking. Sorry. <laughs> no, I think it's important. I think it's good stuff. And I, you know, Jen and I were talking and we were like, it's time for white people to sit down and listen. But here we are, white people <laughs> having a podcast. But I do think it's important to have these conversations because um, they are hard conversations. And it's a lot of looking at ourselves and what we do wrong, and what we need to do better. Um, while also understanding that we have no clue and we have to learn. But my final question has nothing to do with any of that. I, I ask it of everyone on the podcast. I'm sure you heard me ask Jenna. Um, but what brings you joy? You can't say your kids are your wife. I'm not, <laughs> I, I always, you know, don't okay. give me that. We'll um, assume they bring you joy. All right. So, wow. That's really... I, I, I don't think I, I must have turned it off at the very end. You were done with me and Jenna. You didn't want to I don't know. To Maybe I got home. She gave like 13 that. shout outs at the end oh to everyone God. who brought her joy. So, um, <laughs> wow. That is a hard question to answer. Um, but I can say a lot of things. Something like weather on a day like today. Realizing that we're seemingly turning the corner from the pandemic. Yes. Like I've just felt like the last like couple of weeks, I don't know if it's spring, the pandemic turning the corner or whatever, just like getting up and being like, like, wow, this has been a really shitty year and few months. Like hopefully we're almost done with this. Yeah. Um, simple stuff like that. Um, I like that. Just like yeah. little simple things. I mean, beating my friends in fantasy football or fantasy <laughs> baseball. I take great pleasure in that. Um, and it's just like, again, it's just like simple joys like that. Like we have so much as Americans, like stupid things mm -hmm. like that, where like you think about people like in the Middle East where there's missiles flying back and forth or parts, you know, what's going on in India right now is their health system is just completely imploding. Um, 
we really have it good here. Yeah. Um, yeah. We really do. So I try to keep that in perspective. That's awesome. I like that. Well, thank you so much for being thank on the you. show. Glad to have you. I would be shocked if Tim Weatherspoon doesn't give you a call to get you on a young <laughs> black. <laughs> Jordan's like, yes, he's coming on. Well, thanks so much.